Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. Tonight, I'm joined by an incredibly special guest. He's someone who I've had on this show plenty of times in the past. However, I haven't done a podcast with him recently. And my first idea for this podcast kind of shat the bed, but... We came up with something I think is fairly unique. I generally don't see any writing or podcasting on a topic like this, but it's very time-relevant content because we just had the Rising Stars participants announced the other night, so that's going to be a mix of rookie players, sophomore players, and then four G League Ignite players. I just recently wrote about uh, my my thoughts on the NBA rookies and kind of how I'm seeing the, the first and second team sort of play out in terms of rankings where we're at right now over on No Ceilings, my morning dunk column. So if you haven't read that yet, please go subscribe to the No Ceilings Substack. Go ahead, give that column a read. But let's add into that. Let's Let's talk about some NBA sophomores. And there's no one else. I would rather have on the podcast to do this with than the guest I have tonight, Brett Usher from the Overstated NBA show. Brett, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing great. So glad to be back on here with you talking hoops. Um, Yeah, and I'm particularly excited to talk about this sophomore class. Uh, It feels like just yesterday we were talking about them uh, when they were, you know, pre-draft. And uh, now all of a sudden, here we are. It's kind of, you know, with the way the seasons have been scheduled and everything, it's, it's gone by really quick. I can't believe they're already, you know, midway <laughs> through their, their sophomore seasons. But, but it's shaping up to be a, a really fun class and, and looking like a deep class. So, yeah, I think they're definitely worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, back when we, I was kind of going through the pre-draft process with these guys was really when I wanted to get into podcasting and make more of my evaluations public. I know you and Steve had just started the podcast over from the Facebook group. And that's really when a lot of the Facebook group was taken off. And in talking about some of these guys, Brett, I mean, this is where we became basketball brothers a little bit. So this is, this is a special class for the both of us to be able to talk about. So I'm excited to go through this exercise. So Brett and I are going to talk about who we kind of ranked for an all-sophomore first team and an all-sophomore second team, if we were going to make a ballot like this today. I know there's there's technically not a sophomore of the year ballot. There's not an all-sophomore first or a second team in terms of the actual real-life awards. But we thought this would be a pretty fun exercise just to kind of throw something different out there. So we'll go through our first and our second teams. But, Brett, I'll start by asking you this, this general question to sort of kick us off into some of that discussion on who we might have put on our first team ballot. So who in your mind has been the best sophomore player this year up to this point? Man, you know, that might be the toughest decision of all of this. Um, (laughs) It it comes down to an obvious two. Um, I'm going to go with Anthony Edwards, but that's, that's a tough call. Um, But yeah, he's, he's been great. I mean, as great as he was as a rookie, especially in the second half of his rookie season, he's gotten even better. His numbers have improved across the board. He's up to 22.3 points, five rebounds, 3.7 assists, which kind of jumps out to me. His playmaking has taken a little bit of a jump, Um, shooting 44, 36, 81. So his efficiency has gone up pretty much across the board. Um, So, I mean, 
you know, you take a guy that that already was was playing at a, at a really high level the, the second half of his rookie season, and um, and he takes this kind of a leap to where you know I think he's got a pretty good argument as Minnesota's best player at at this point, yeah. and they're they're now in the playoff picture. They're above five hundred, um, and he's just doing his thing. Uh, so yeah, I think he's just a, just a really special player and, and he's having an awesome season and that's no, you know, and again, LaMelo's right there, but I'm going to give the Ant-Man the slight edge if we're talking about who's having the best sophomore season. I would agree with you. And I did a lengthy podcast with Chuck at Chucking Darts over on his feed. And we sort of talked about some preseason NBA expectations and he went, into a, a nice little ramble about how he thought Anthony Edwards was going to push to, to make an all-star team. He thought that Anthony Edwards was really going to brighten his case as the best player on the Minnesota Timberwolves and help lead them back to the playoffs. I, I didn't see Anthony Edwards necessarily making an, an all-star push, either, although even, even though he's probably not going to, to make the, the team, at least initially, I think he absolutely has a chance to get in as like a reserve, because you know some people are, are not ultimately going to be playing in the game, in which case I would hope that Anthony Edwards would make the all-star game in that in that sense. But he's he's had himself a spectacular year, and, and yeah, I, I think he might actually be the best player uh, on the Timberwolves at this point. I know some people would still lay claim to, to Carl Anthony Towns, but it really seems like, at least from a leadership standpoint, maybe Carl Anthony Towns is still the better player because he's the most talented veteran. But in terms of leadership, you can tell that this is Anthony Edwards' team. I think what stands out to me, Brett, is I would never say that that Anthony Edwards wasn't confident at any point during his rookie year. I, I think he's always been confident in himself. But now, as he's coming to his second year, I mean, that shit's oozing out of him, right? Like, the way that he's sizing guys up on the perimeter to kind of go at them one-on-one, he truly believes that he can make any shot from any spot on the floor. And Anthony Edwards' claim to fame when he was being evaluated for the the 2020 draft was that that game where he played for Georgia um, in the Maui Invitational against Michigan State, he laid waste to that team, nailing jump shot after jump shot after jump shot. He was sizing guys up then, and it didn't matter what kind of look they gave him or – who they put on him, he was going to nail a shot in somebody's face. And you saw a little bit of that shot making last year. I don't believe it was as pronounced, but now this year, I mean, he's dropping multiple 40 point games. It, it doesn't really matter who's on him at this point. I think he, he wants to make shots over anyone. He wants to dunk over anyone. And he's letting you know after the games, he's one of the best quotes in the league. Him just from a leadership standpoint, I, I, I think that's what really would, would push him ahead of LaMelo the furthest, at least in my mind. I'm sure you've, you've seen some of the same things. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up the leadership component. Um, I think there's no question he's Minnesota's leader. And yeah, I mean, you could certainly make an argument for Towns as their best player. They're both awesome players, and they're both having really nice seasons. But yeah, yeah the, the confidence, man, I mean, you can just see it in his shot. Um, and that's definitely an area where he's he's improved a lot. You know, I mean, he's shooting 36% on threes, pretty high volume. Um, but the shot just looks good. He looks comfortable. He looks confident. He's shooting it real loose. Um, he's doing stuff like looking over at opposing teams' benches and telling them they need to call timeout, like, after he buries a three. I mean, he's, he's like, just the right amount of cocky. And, like, not everybody could even pull off this level of cocky, but the Ant-Man certainly can. Um, and it's just funny looking back to – 
some of the concerns before the draft just about like his his mentality and like his character and like now those are like clear strengths like he's obviously a really high character guy and his his mentality is fantastic and probably exactly what Minnesota needs um yeah he's he's a monster um it, you know and the, and the more confidence he gains the scarier he's gonna be I mean going to the rack he's like like a wrecking ball but but with some wiggle you know, and it, you know, get he hung forty on Portland the other night. I mean, he was Euro stepping, he was hitting step backs, mm-hmm. um, doing it all. Really, uh, I mean, we we all know about the you know the athletic measurables. You know, as far as just just the burst and the the deceleration and the vertical leap and the strength and and all that stuff. I mean, he's like a he's like a prime LeBron tier athlete. Like I'd put him in that tier if we're you know what I mean. Like an, he's an all time athletic player i mean he tested what was it like p3 that did his athletic testing Um, they rated him like the the 99th point whatever percentile athlete that they've ever tested so yeah it it was like it it was in so many different ways it was in it was in his burst it was in his deceleration it was in his strength his leaping all of that so he's just an all-around athlete and and i've heard when you see him in person which i haven't had the pleasure of doing yet i've heard it's even more impressive but i mean i think he could be the best shooting guard in the league soon like maybe even next season like that sounds crazy to say because there's guys like Levine and and Booker uh out there but you know it wouldn't surprise me at all if you know if he takes another leap like the size of the one he took between last season and this season that that he could really be that guy you know in the next couple of seasons so I mean I think he's he's absolutely going to be a superstar in this league for a long time and he's got the personality to go with that that superstar level game. So yeah, what's not to love about Anthony Edwards? It's I, I like I said, I would agree with you that Anthony Edwards has been the better player between the two. I, I don't think that's a, a knock on LaMelo Ball whatsoever. He absolutely has an argument to be the better player of the two, at least statistically. He's at uh 27 and 8, essentially, with a 20.6 PER compared to Anthony Edwards' 17.4 PER. Um, not not quite the same shooter from the field, although he's averaging a much higher percentage from the free throw line. But we know LaMelo Ball, he's not always out there to score first, right? He's there to set the table for everybody else. And at the beginning of the year, when I had some more time on my hands to be watching some more NBA basketball, I actually did a little bit of a deep dive into the start of the year for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, that was one of my first pieces that I did for the no ceiling Substack. I remember that. I remember that. It was really good. <laughs> it was, it, it was a great dive because what really intrigued me and what, what encouraged me to write the piece was that the Hornets were playing to LaMelo Ball's strengths and that we always knew, at least going back to the evaluation process and then coming up through his rookie year in the league, like LaMelo is at his best when he can play in transition and he can play to exactly how they tried to play offense at Chino Hills dating back to, to high school, even before he went on his 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 caravans <laughs> around the around the world, going to you know overseas, and then eventually ended up in the NBL. But when Lamelo is able to play in transition, his court vision, his hit ahead passing, all of that comes to light, and it, it's it's funny. Then he can kind of be like this trailer in, in transition as well. Like he he hits the hit ahead if the shot's not immediately there to Miles Bridges or Gordon Hayward or one of the bigs running the floor, they can kind of pass it back to him. And he steps into those transition threes and the butter. And I think that when you play, when, when that team gets up tempo, which they've done a much better job at playing at on the offensive end this year, 
he is that much more dangerous of a player now. He still has his warts. Um, he he's he hasn't been the perfect player scoring out of pick and roll. Um, his spot up shooting can still stand to be improved. His jump shooting overall can really stand to be improved. And and the thing that he shares with Anthony Edwards is that at least by the numbers, those two are not great finishing around the basket. Now I would absolutely give the edge to Anthony Edwards in that regard, just because as you pointed out, Brad, he he is a bully when he gets around the basket. Like he just has a physical edge when compared to Lamelo. Lamelo is taller, but he's not built nearly in the same way, and he's not the same uh, powerful athlete as Anthony Edwards. He's not the same explosively in terms of leaping off the ground as, as Anthony Edwards. Lamelo Ball kind of shies away from contact a little bit. He doesn't look to go into those shots around the basket. He kind of tries to, you know, drift to the side and kiss it high off the glass. And sometimes that works for him. Sometimes it doesn't. I think he's gotten much better at hitting on runners in terms of when he actually has a straight line drive to the basket. He's in the 85th percentile of runners. So that's definitely been a really good weapon for him, but they both have their flaws. I, I think ultimately it's, it's, it comes down to personal preference. Do you want the three-level scorer who has almost everything you can imagine in his bag to put that ball in the basket? Or do you want the more cerebral type of playmaker, that, that more advanced court vision? You, you, want, you want this player to, nest, to definitely be your point guard. Um, out on the floor. I think it really comes back to personal preference, but that's not to shy away from Lamelo. Lamelo has been absolutely fantastic. Him and Anthony Edwards are definitely two candidates to, who knows, maybe one day one of them could be the face of the league. But did you have any other thoughts on Lamelo before we move into some of the other guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, I agree with everything you said. I mean, um, and, and yeah, going back to Edwards, like it was funny looking at looking at their rim finishing. Like I actually, I actually expected him to be a little more efficient in that regard um, than, than where he's at. But uh, yeah, LaMelo, that's definitely an area of improvement for him. Um, he tends to go up with one hand uh, and just kind of glide. Like he'll go to one, switch it to two, go back to one. It's, <laughs> it's like really graceful, but um, you know, he's, it's not exactly um, drawing contact. Although he is taking three and a half uh, free throws a game this year, which isn't a ton, but like if you compare it to his brother or some other guys that he might have been comp to uh, when people were talking about that as like an area of concern, it's not bad. And he's taken a jump at the free throw line from 76% to 87%. So in terms of shooting, that's actually the biggest jump he's taken. But yeah, he's shooting 36% on like over seven three-point attempts per game. I think that number is going to continue to go up as his career progresses. Both of those numbers, actually, the percentage and the attempt rate where I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in a couple of years, he's taken 10, three pointers a game, you know, if not more, um, he looks very comfortable shooting him. His shot's still a little funny. He's still got that really narrow, almost kind of wobbly base, but you know, he looks balanced. It, it looks mostly sound and, and it works for him. Um, yeah, the runners, the floaters, I mean, he's taking runners and floaters from like, Oh, 17 feet out, 16 feet out from the free yeah, throw. Yeah, but he's got anyway. that like straight line of the basket and that's the shot he can get. Like, yeah, he's got yeah. a really good touch on those shots. He's great at him. I mean, he's got like, <laughs> he is to runners like what Steph is to three pointers, like in terms of range. <laughs> like he's like, he's shooting these deep runners and floaters. Um, it's funny. So much of what he does are like things that, you know, your average high school coach would tell you, don't ever do that. Right. Um, and it's cool to see him making it work. Um, so, and, and you know, like the thing with him, like he's not like a, he's flashy, you know, that's definitely like what he's known for, but he's not like Jason Williams, white chocolate. It's like with LaMelo, there's this kind of foundation of a, uh, just a really, uh, smart sound floor leader. Like if you take away all the spectacular stuff, 
you've still got just a really solid point guard there. You know what I mean? Like, for, you know, for all the for every, you know, flashy sports center highlight real pass that he makes, he makes about five really smart simple passes just to you know to an open shooter on the perimeter or just a little drop off or something so he does a lot of um fundamentally sound things as well so yeah he's awesome and that that's a really tough call again between him and anthony edwards like they're they're right there um you know neck and neck and lamello so fun to watch you know he's the engine of the the highest scoring team in the league like it, it, i think in a lot of ways he's the closest thing we've seen to magic johnson like just in the the charisma like the the unselfishness, like the fun factor, like just how fun it probably is to play with him, just like how much the team has taken on his identity. Yes. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not saying he's as good as Magic or will be. Like that's that would be crazy. But if we're just talking about the kind of the type of player he is, he's he's almost like the modern version of that. Like Magic didn't shoot threes, but if Magic played today, he probably would. You know what I mean? So in that sense. Um, that's kind of like a, a comp I like to make for LaMelo. And I know it's a, a lofty one, but I mean, I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's unfair. Who would you take defensively between the two? Um, I, I want to give you the floor for that one. I think that I, I might actually take LaMelo defensively. And I think the reason why I would take LaMelo defensively over Anthony Edwards uh, it's it's funny. Anthony Edwards is actually rated higher in terms of total defense per synergy. But when you flip on the tape, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me between the two of them is they they both like to take risks, playing the passing lanes and, and trying to, to force steals, get out of the break. Uh, Anthony Edwards is at one point six steals per game. Lamelo is at one point five steals. I think though Lamelo is a smarter player overall, and I think that translates much more to the defensive end in terms of when he takes those gambles. I don't think he gambles nearly as much. As Anthony Edwards, when he does, I think he's more sure of a thing to, to either make the play or, or take an, a, an educated gamble in terms of he'll be able to get back and sort of recover a lot better than Anthony Edwards, like all of a sudden darting out of nowhere to play the passing lane. And he's off the mark completely in terms of actually intercepting the ball. And he leaves himself so far out in terms of coming back into the play and trying to contest a shot from there. Like I, I still see Anthony Edwards take too many gambles or – he, just, he misses rotations. He doesn't close out properly and catch and shoot shots. Like for all that Anthony Edwards can do on the ball when he's locked in and engaged, he can guard positions one through three and he can man up virtually anybody because of the size and the bulk that he plays with. But just in terms of understanding what's going on on the court, both on and off the ball, I think I'm probably taking the, the, the more complete package in my opinion of LaMelo overall. But what do you think? Yeah, that that's pretty close too, but, but I'm with you on that. I'd go LaMelo. Um, I just, like you said, I think just the basketball IQ overall is higher. Um, he's got really quick hands. Uh, you he know, does. yeah. The it, both it, of them do. They do. They do. Uh, and LaMelo's just got such great positional size or length, at least. Um, and, you know, Ant-Man's only 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but we know how strong he is. So, But, but yeah. LaMelo being so tall at the point guard position um, can really add, add a dimension to your defense. I mean, it's obviously not an area of strength for either one of these guys, but right now I would say LaMelo. But if we're talking like five years from now, I'd go Edwards because I think he's got a lot of upside that he hasn't really tapped into defensively. Um, so, yeah, in the future, I'd probably say Edwards, but now I'd, I'd go ball. I think he's a slightly better defender right now. He, he has upside on, on both ends of the ball. Like one, Once Edwards really figures out passing, in the half court, which I think he's, I, I haven't watched 
nearly as many Minnesota Timberwolves games this year as I probably would have liked to, but in, in doing some prep for this podcast and sort of trying to, to go back for some writing I'll do next week as well, some of the film that I flipped on, he's starting to really show some flashes of some nice passing in the half nope. court. And I think, I think, well, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to agree, man. No, no question. He has shown some flashes, uh, just especially even in the last few weeks. Um, he's, he's seeing things that he wasn't seeing before. Uh, so, you know, he, he'll still miss guys occasionally, you know, but, but he's definitely improved. It's reflected in his, his assist rate, his assist numbers. Um, and you see it when he's playing, just some of the kickouts he's made when, he, when he's driving in. So that, that sort of adds another dimension to his offensive game. And I think that's an area he can continue to improve in a lot. Absolutely. Like once he gets that part of the half court game figured out to the point where his team is is converting on more offensive opportunities because they're, the, the ball's going to keep going in his hands more and more and more often, especially not not even just this year. But when we get to year three and year four, eventually, like he's going to have that the ball in his hands so much within that offense to the point where if he can actually bring that passing up another notch or two and, and he he can rate out better in some of these play types like pick and rolls, including passes and isolations, including passes. That's going to raise the floor of that Timberwolves offense so much. And, and they're already um, a, a good offensive team, at least when they're firing at all cylinders. It surprises me when you look at the numbers. And again, I haven't watched a, a ton of film on the Timberwolves. They're, they're actually much better defensively this year than I think they have been. They, they haven't come anywhere close to where they are defensively, at least by the numbers. Um, as they are this year, their offense has sort of taken a, a little bit of a step back in some regards. But once once Edwards is able to continuously lift that floor offensively for that team, I mean, he's going to be that much more dangerous of a player. That team's going to be better for it overall. And, and yeah, he has, he has a lot of upside to tap into as he continues to get better at playing the game of basketball, um, not just relying solely on his individual talent, which, as we talked about at length, this – it is absolutely absurd. He's such a fun player to watch. So let's get into the rest of our first teams. And Brett, this exercise broke my heart into a million pieces because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I had to try and be as objective as possible. But why don't you give me the other three players um, on your ballot? Then I'll give you the rest of my ballot. Then we'll talk about some of these guys individually. All right. Um yeah, it kind of broke my heart a little bit too. Maybe in the same <laughs> way. <laughs> um, the next, the next three on my first team would be Desmond Bain, Tyrese Halliburton, and Tyrese Maxey. All right, so we have the same first team, and I, I, I guess I know why your heart's broken as well. I <laughs> l- listen. Let's let's actually let's just start right there because I think we'll we'll talk about Bain and Halliburton in the second and how spectacular they've been this year, especially especially Desmond Bain. He is, he is freaking awesome, man. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that he ended up on the Memphis Grizzlies. But yeah. that, that last spot, as I'm sure it probably was for you, came down to Tyrese Maxey, and it came down to Cole Anthony. And when I go through the numbers for Cole Anthony, he was off to a spectacular start um, this year, like absolutely smoking hot out of the gates. And then he, he had a little bit of trouble in terms of injury, and since he's come back, he has not been the same player offensively. His game has definitely taken a little bit of a dip in terms of efficiency. He's under 18 points per game now, still averaging six assists and, and almost six rebounds. But the shooting splits have, have, have suffered. He was, he was up over, I think he was up over 41% from the field overall at one point and, and about 40% from three-point range. Now he's down to 38.6% from the field and 32%. 
uh, from three-point range, still shooting well from the free throw line, 84.4%, um, 2.7 turnovers under under a 15 PER now, and only a 51.1 true shooting percentage. So the synergy splits get, get a little worse in his favor, 27th in terms of total offense. Um, and he has not rated out well on multiple categories, shooting the ball only 43rd percentile on spot-ups, 31st in isolation, 41st on jumpers overall, 12th finishing around the basket. We knew that as a struggle of his. You and I talked about that um, during his rookie year. But you flip it over to Tyrese Maxey, who I have seen a little more of because he plays for my hometown, Philadelphia 76ers. I'm, I still have to flip on – 76ers basketball, Brad, to see what Joel Embiid's doing every single night because Jesus, he's been he's been absolutely spectacular. Is he your MVP? Would Embiid be your MVP right now? Yeah. Good, good, yeah, good, good, good man, Brad. Don't don't make me too sad it's, about it's that close. one. Thank it's God. close, but 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 yeah, he's he's my guy, man. I think he's been the best player in the league since probably you know since like Thanksgiving or whenever he came back from his COVID absence. If you look at it overall, I don't know. I mean, Jokic obviously has a great argument a lot of it comes down to personal preference and i suppose that's a conversation for another day but yes <laughs> but yes Embiid is my mvp right now slightly and he's and he's had one hell of a co-pilot in maxi and i just want to read you off some of the numbers brett so we know the counting stats um uh, you I, i'm sure you have the counting stats in front of you but going through some of the synergy numbers that i was able to pull um 77 percentile in terms of total offense 43rd in terms of defense so he's actually rating out his average defensively he's not completely killing you on that end and in turn he's giving you everything that he is offensively so 90th in isolations 83rd scoring out of pick and roll 81st on spot up shooting 76th in transition 84th on isolations including passes 75th in pick and rolls including passes 71st on jumpers 79th on catch and shoot shots 77 percentile all jump shots off the dribble so really he doesn't have the most diverse shot diet for example as some of these other guys that we can talk about tonight but what the 76ers ask him to do which is essentially bring the ball up the floor hit open shots when you're off the ball come back to the ball by playing and, and, and hand off little two-man actions with Joel Embiid and find opportunistic ways to either score or get the ball out to the right man and help somebody else get a basket. In, in terms of that being his role, what they've asked him to do, he's absolutely kicked ass at doing it. And that, I think, to me, I would much rather have at this point the, the awesome guy who plays to his strengths, plays to his role, and I know what I'm getting from Maxi each and every night with the potential – to get even more, as we saw the other night, for example, uh, when Embiid was out against the, the Memphis Grizzlies, Maxi gave you 33 points and a win. I would rather take that guy, I know what I'm getting, have the potential to get more than Cole Anthony right now, who, again, it's, it's, it's night to night. It's been the same thing this year. For as high of highs as he's had, shooting the basketball, distributing the basketball, you know, hitting very clutch shots near the end of games, you still aren't guaranteed to get that same level of production from an efficiency standpoint from night to night. And again, he's, he's been great this year. He's been much better than he was last year in multiple regards. I was scared for his case coming in after you and I saw him out at summer league. I love summer league going, Oh my God, like, is this the Cole Anthony we're actually going to get in a second year? Like, like what's going on? He has been a much better player than that guy we saw at summer league. But I don't think he's been good enough, at least from a full picture up to this current moment in time, to knock Maxi out of that that first team spot. So 
What, what, what are some of your thoughts on both Tyrese Maxey and Cole Anthony? Yeah, I mean, if we were doing this in like early or mid-December even, like Cole would be easy first team, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, he was he was legitimately like pretty efficient and putting up, you know, 20 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, whatever. Some people were really talking about him like for all-star balance, like not even joking, like legitimately like we need to vote for him for all-star. I'm, for the first month and a half of the season, he really was one of the better point guards in the East. Of course, Orlando is terrible, and that's part of what differentiated these two for me is like Tyrese Maxey's the starting point guard on a really good team. Like they're third yeah. in the East right now. Um, and, and, and yeah, and then just the efficiency, like Cole has really slid like the last maybe three weeks or so. And Cole's missed a bunch of time. Like Cole's missed 14 games. I think Maxi has maybe missed like six or seven. I don't have it in front of me, but you know, the, the, the durability, like Cole, Cole missing time the the magic, um, being probably the worst team in the league. And then his efficiency numbers sliding, like that's probably what puts Maxi ahead of him. But I would say like Maxi's grown on me more than any other player this year, like compared to where I was at on him last year. Uh, you mentioned the defense. He's improved a ton. Um, defensively, he's still not great, but like especially on ball, he, he's improved a lot. You can tell he's he's working on that. Um, he's in the 73rd percentile in terms of estimated plus minus, which was a little higher than I expected. And Cole's actually in that same percentile, too. That's not in the LaMelo ball, Anthony Edwards range, but that's right. pretty respectable for a second year guy with with that kind of workload. 57 percent true shooting. And yeah, the counting stats are like 17, four and five. Basically, he's not like the flashiest player. He's not the flashiest passer. He's even just in terms of like passing ability, like he's nowhere near elite, but he's smart. He's conservative. I think, especially for like a second year player in that role, Um, he's trustworthy and he's a, yeah, he's a guy I trust. He's got like, he's got like a good vibe about him too. He seems to bring a good, good energy. He's got got that good swag though, too. And like, like one of the things that I've really noticed for, for Maxi this year is last year, I think he was a little more hesitant to step into some of those three-point shots. This year, I mean, this dude is firing from everywhere on the floor, and he's not thinking twice about it. Like, this man is so much more confident in his jump shot. I I, I did not see that coming. Like, he's shooting 40%, 40% on, like, a pretty decent volume. Like, I think he's shooting at three or four threes a game anyway, and he's he's at 40%. So, like, yeah, I didn't see that coming. Um, He, he was a guy I was pretty low on coming into the draft. Uh, based on the film I watched, like I don't I don't remember where I had him. I think around twenty. Um, and then even last season, like he had that one game where they were ridiculously shorthanded. I think it was in January where he had thirty nine. And I remember saying at the time that's going to be his career high. And like I didn't mean it as a diss. I was just like I don't think he's that kind of player that could that could ever really score forty. But now he has three 30 plus point games already this season. Uh, so I think he is going to hit 40 at some point. He's a big time player. And yeah, that game against Memphis, man, he was, he was just phenomenal. So yeah, he, he deserves it, man. Um, I think he's their point guard of the future. You know, like, I feel like when he first stepped into that role, it was kind of like, okay, like that's still an area where they can upgrade. But the more we see him there, um, I think he's, I think he's the guy, you know, for the long term for them. So I think there'll be other areas where they can upgrade, but I think Maxie's your guy at, at point guard. How, what do you think about that? Just being a Philly guy, like, do you think he's a legit long-term starting point guard on a, a title contender, which is what they obviously aspire to be? Tyrese Maxie will forever be, um, well, w- one of the misses that I've had in scouting that, that makes me absolutely sad. And 
you know, Brett, you and I have had many different conversations about scouting and you know me as a person. I know you as a person. I know that you know that I value work ethic. I value maturity. I value intangibles. And leave it to me, the guy who prides himself in taking that into account when evaluating players, to not have the leader of Kentucky's Breakfast Club in the top 10 uh, of my prospect rankings that year um, or, or, or in a tier to definitely challenge in, in that you know, lottery level consideration. Like if I had to put a number on him, I, I had him not outside of the twenties, but definitely like late teens. And he's clearly been a lot better than that. Like Sam Vecini and Seth Partnow did a redraft pod not that long ago. And, and Maxie and Cole Anthony were like battling for like sixth or seventh on, on their redraft pod. And if you're considering taking them that high, clearly shouldn't have been in the range of like late teens on a draft board. And I think really what's propelled that is the shot making and the confidence from everywhere. I don't think that Maxi has to be this incredible dynamic passer. I think as long as he's continuing to make shots, as long as he's efficient in enough play types that fit around what Joel Embiid's best at doing, which is, you know, do, do you have a, do you have a point guard who can get him the ball in the post? Can he actually make the entry pass? Um, can he play off of handoffs really well? Can he be a threat out of pick and roll? And Maxi's a yes in all of those. And then when Embiid's not on the floor, he is able to catapult that team ahead in transition and really lead the break. Um, like, like not as many point guards you would think can actually lead the break because he can, he can now pull up. He can hit those transition threes. He can get all the way to the basket. He's an absolute blur. Like, I think he fits so well for that team that I think that y you can't look at him as anything but the future long-term starting point guard in, in Philly. And the thing that you, you, you agreed with me, Brett, that he's really improved defensively. Brett, when you look at his body, I think he's really going to, he's going to keep filling out, especially with the way that he works in the weight room. Like he's going to get that Kyle Lowry body, maybe not in terms of the ass <laughs> and, <laughs> and the rear end, but everything else that you see on Lowry in terms of like, how big he is, how bulky he is in his upper body. Like, I think Max is going to get there. And that's going to be a real problem for other people. That's going to continue to give him an edge as he continues to finish better around the basket and he checks people one-on-one -on -one defensively. Like, I think he has he has a higher ceiling than, than I could have ever envisioned. So, yeah, I would say that he's definitely the long-term starting point guard, or at least he should be. Yeah, no, and, and the finishing, like that's that's an area where I I love his finishing ability. And I know like his his rim finishing uh percentage isn't great, but he's got this ability to like adjust midair yep. um that a lot of guys don't have. And I think as he gets stronger, which he will, like you're that's a great point about his frame. Like you just look at him and you know he's gonna get he's gonna put on a lot of muscle and and carry it well, most importantly. Um but yeah, I think he's gonna get to the point where he's elite at least for his position as a finisher um so yeah again just a big fan of maxi and the shooting has really surprised me and and now that that has fallen into place um he is like a perfect fit there with Embiid. so yeah I, I've, i'm pretty optimistic about philly uh going forward you know for years to come as long as Embiid can stay healthy and, and Maxie's a big part of that so that's the back end of the first team. Um, the other two guys, speaking of seeing some of these players in person, I was at the, the 76ers-Kings game the other night, so I actually got a good look at not just Tyrese Maxey, but also Tyrese Halliburton when he had his best game of the year going off for 38 points, 
and seven assists when that dude literally looked like he couldn't miss. And you and I were, were chopping it up a little bit on Facebook after that game, Brent, about some of the shots that he was making. Like, his form is not picturesque. It's not pretty. But at the same time, he's made it work for him. And he's gotten to the point where the the, the way that he sort of steps back or, or steps to the right, I should, I should say, and kind of just like flings that ball up there, right? But it's he flings it at like the perfect angle to the point where it just drops down in the basket. Like, like that deep fadeaway three that he made the other night, like that, that ball didn't even uh, hit the rim. Like that shit just great. It went right down and went right through the hoop. And the way that he's mastered making some of these shots off the bounce has been absolutely insane. And he's been on an absolute tear since about mid-December. He's putting up like 21, 27, 24, 22, um, 24 in another game. Then he moved down a little yeah. bit, 24, 21, 24, 38. 20, like he's putting up all these 20-plus point games and taking over as a scorer from all three levels on the floor. It's not just the passing. It's not just um, some of the rebounding he gives you. It's not just some of the, the on-ball, off-ball defense that, that he can give you as well. Although the, the passing, I mean, he's also put up these double-digit assist games where he, I mean, he had, what, like a month in a row where he was putting up like seven or more assists like pretty much every single night. Like this dude has been an offensive machine for Sacramento. He should absolutely be their starting point guard of the future. Like if they decide to move off of the Aaron Fox to try and get some pieces to, to fit around Halliburton and, and, and Mitchell and some of the other guys that they, they have in the folder, they end up drafting. Like I wouldn't blame them one bit. Like this dude has been incredible this year. And I mean, I, I won't waste your time reading through all the synergy percentiles for, for Halliburton, but he rates out good to, to excellent in virtually everything you would want from him. Uh, to on the offensive end like he he Brett I, I did not see this coming I don't know if you saw any of this coming but I know that you were excited to, to talk about Halbert a little bit how has he impressed you this year yeah I mean he's just rock solid man uh, of course like the shooting and the shot creation is is probably the area where I've been most surprised pleasantly surprised I should say uh, where yeah I mean he's got a funky looking shot it's not the ugliest shot I've ever seen but like it's far from textbook. It it, it he yeah. almost shoots it like an old timer, like so, like a player from the '60s or '70s or something. Um, it's you know what I mean. Like it, it's, he just it's, like throws it up there. Yeah, it's right. it's a funky looking shot, but I mean, yeah, it works. And I think even on, like you mentioned, like on those side steps, like it might almost be like advantageous to have like a to to have sort of a release point or like a um a, a shot just like a shot pocket the the way that he does. Like it, it might almost help him in those situations uh, but he's, yeah I mean, he, he's, he he, he's mastered that shot going to the right Brett like it doesn't matter like whether it's at the top of the key like he's even hitting some of these like side steps to the right like in the deep corner like yeah. he's like falling out of bounds and the, the, those shots are just like butter for him like it's it's one thing to talk about his form but like he he's made the form work for him but then he's literally mastered a shot that seems like it's it's almost impossible to guard especially if he rolls you to sleep even just a little bit yeah. And like something I mentioned, I think to you when we were talking about it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever was like something about his footwork on those step backs and side steps is like a little unorthodox. I, I, I need to look into it more, but just <laughs> watching it, it's like he does. He does it a little bit differently um, than other players, just like the order of his his footwork as he's going into that shot. And it just seems like the defense has kind of a hard time gauging it or timing that shot. And he can just get it off. And, and the fact that he's, you know, six, five, six, six. 
uh, with long arms definitely helps too. Um, but he, yeah, he's just a super efficient player. Uh, he's at 46, 42, 83 shooting on the year, 58% yeah. true shooting. I believe that's well above league average. Um, he's at like 14, four and seven in terms of just counting stat averages. But like you mentioned that this recent stretch that he's had, um, actually, yeah, I looked at it it's since December 17th. Um, that was when um, when De'Aaron Fox first went down. He's had a couple absences since then. It's been 22 games since then, um, and De'Aaron has missed 10 uh, during that 22-game span. But over those 22 games, going back to mid-December, Halliburton's averaging 17.9 points, 9.2 assists per game, and he's shooting 48, 44, 86. So that's like ridiculous. That's, that's ridiculous. And I couldn't agree more, man. He deserves to be a full-time starting point guard. He should be Sacramento's full-time starting point guard. Absolutely no disrespect to De'Aaron Fox, but I think there's going to come a point where they have to choose between the two. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't mean to say that like they're better without Fox or anything like that. Like they're, they're better with him, but I think that the pieces you could potentially get as a return for him in trade would be more valuable and a better fit next to Halliburton. And I think that would just be better for the ultimate direction of the team. I just think you need to commit to this kid. I think he's, he's special in a way that De'Aaron Fox isn't. De'Aaron Fox is a very nice player. Um, but I just think, I just think Halliburton's really special. Um, so yeah, he's a great leader. You know, that, that game against the Nets, uh, when was that? Was it last night? Um, yeah, I believe it was, uh, just in the fourth quarter, his leadership, the energy he brought, just lifting up his teammates was, was phenomenal. Um, so yeah, just, yeah, there, there's another game where, I mean, yeah, in that game, he, he only, yeah, it was last night. He, he only shot five of 15 from the floor. So he only had 12 points, but he had, he had 11 assists to zero turnovers and four steals on top of that on the defensive end. So yeah, and like, he, and he some big buckets too. Like he really, he kind of got it going late. Um, yeah, he's, uh, man, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. I, I definitely underestimated him coming out of college too. I, I know what it was too. I got hung up on the funky shot like whether it would translate. And I know that's become kind of a joke. I think he tweeted about it, like something about like, I guess it translates or I forget. It was kind of like a, a famous, like funny tweet that he had at one point. He, yeah. But... He's, he's had multiple tweets where he's kind of gone at people and he's like, and they said the shot wouldn't work. And, and, and he's just absolutely, yeah, it's, it's working. He, he is incredible. You know, let's give Sacramento a little bit of credit for as much as they screw up on a consistent basis, they went about, drafting Halliburton similar to Cleveland drafting Darius Garland when they already had Colin Sexton they took who they felt was the best player available and I'm not saying that Halliburton's as good as Garland although Halliburton's been spectacular I think Garland might <laughs> might be on even another level than, than Halliburton but applying that best player available don't worry about who might be in front of him at the position just take who you feel is the best and regardless of what happened with Fox they have a dynamite backcourt partner or backcourt leader in, in Halliburton. And that's, that's going to pay off for them as long as they can eventually build this team the right way. Now, will they build the team the right way? It's, it's the Sacramento Kings. Like, who the hell knows? <laughs> but they, they, they have Halliburton, who is, is a sure thing um, for, for years to come, barring, of, of course, barring any injuries or any stupid crap like that. But as long as he's healthy, he is a sure thing in the NBA. And I am incredibly excited to, to continue to watch him for years to come. So the last player that we both have on the first team, and then we'll, we'll, we'll run through some of the guys on our second teams, Desmond Bain for the Memphis Grizzlies, Brett. First of all, the third, I put third place in the West. 
if I'm correct, Memphis yeah. Grizzlies, I believe they're third right now. Yeah. Holy cow. First of all, who saw that coming? Um, I, I, I had Memphis as a playoff team coming into this year. I was pretty strong about them preseason. But when I say strong, strong was a relative term to everyone else in terms of I had them like seventh or eighth in the Western Conference playoffs. Some people still had them outside of the playoffs. I thought that that was a strong take. Forget what they've actually done, which is be like in the top four in the West pretty consistently all year long. And whether they have John Morant, whether they don't have John Morant, the depth that this team has, how we've talked about for multiple years now, they've just been nailing every single draft pick that they've made. And it's really paid dividends to, to the depth and the quality of players that this team has, not just from option A and option B and option C, I will all the way down to like EFGHI. Like they just have consistent presences at every single position and, and, and roster spot. It's it's truly remarkable. Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain has been Memphis's third best player this year, and that's that's a little wild to say when you talk about he was the thirtieth pick in the draft. He slid all the way down boards. Boston had the pick. They didn't even want to take him. They they ended up trading the pick to Memphis so Memphis could snag him at 30. I had him as a top 20 grade pretty much throughout the draft process. I don't know how he ultimately slipped. I hope that one day we get a book written about how he he, he slipped in the draft or like what the hell could have possibly went wrong. Like did he just bomb in a few workouts and, and teams got nervous? Was there some some stuff behind the scenes that we just don't know about? But it makes no sense to me why he ultimately fell. And if it was just purely based on how old he was coming into the draft, then screw everyone who passed on him be, be because they were ages or, or some something like that. Like this <laughs> ages, dude is ages so and, talented. Ages and wingspanists. Um, yeah, geez. It's like, talk, but, but, talk to me about Bane, man. Um, I mean, I think there's definitely lessons to be learned there. It's it's absolutely insane that he fell to 30. Um, but it and it absolutely looks brilliant on the part of the Grizzlies for drafting him there. I mean, you've got him. Well, first of all, he's averaging 18 points a game, 4.4 rebounds, 2.4 assists on the season. And you thought Halliburton was efficient. Bane is at 47, 42, 90 on the season. Um, he's 37th in the NBA in estimated plus minus, which is in the 92nd Ridiculous. percentile. I mean, he's by all metrics having a, a phenomenal season and the Grizzlies have him locked in on a four year, $10 million contract, but <laughs> they're paying him $2 million this year. And he's playing like an $18 million a year guy. So it just, it goes to show how, what a smart move that is drafting these kind of older, uh, mature kind of high floor, like NBA ready uh, prospects late in the first round uh, and then just getting him on this super cheap deal for a long time because he's a legit contributor and it's funny it's like he seemed so old at the draft <laughs> which is like which is I mean I'll admit like I, I think I had I you know I I, I kind of I dove in pretty deep that that year this this for this class and I think I had him somewhere like in the early 20s and I feel stupid about that but then again he fell to 30 so I actually had him higher than than he ended right. up getting drafted but like it's just crazy um but uh he, he seemed so old uh, at the draft and but now you look at him and he's only 23 <laughs> like and he's starting he started all 50 games that he's played in this season on one of probably one of the five or six best teams in the nba i think most of us could agree yeah. uh averaging 18 points a game doing it on both ends one of the best shooters in the league right all that and he's only 23 so like as old as he might have seemed on draft day like here we are you know um just a year a year a little over a year year and a half later 
and um and he's only 23 and he's doing all this so it's like that's a guy you want to have and he's he continues to improve he's got you know i think he's got a lot of a lot of upside still like is he ever going to be like a 27 point a game scorer no probably not but he can continue to get better and um yeah they've got a gem there uh in, in memphis he's been a big part of it like you said he has been their third best player and like Ja and Jaron always seemed like a like a big two, you know, like a future big two, like a duo. Yeah. Like I think we talked about like the best young duos like on on some podcast. Like, um, and and it's Ja and Jaron, and now it feels like a big three with Ja, Jaron, and Bain. Like he's been that good. Um, so yeah, he's he's a lock, no brainer for first team all sophomore for me. He was definitely like you know he'd be third if we were ranking him like in that way. I'd, I'd even have him ahead of Halliburton and Maxi. What's crazy is, like, the, the only real area of weakness that stands out to me about his offensive game is, like, not, not, not necessarily scoring out of pick and roll because he can get to the basket. He can obviously finish when he's there because he's built like a shaped brick house. He can pull up. Um, he, he hit those little one-two dribble pull-ups off the initial screen. But I think passing in those situations is an area where he can improve. But he's also, like... He, he, he's, he's 23, but he's only 23 at the same time. Right. Um, he, he hasn't always had that level of responsibility, even going back to his college days. Like, he really only was the man at TCU, like, running a lot more ball screen type offense, like, as the primary initiator in, like, his senior year. And asking him to essentially do it in the NBA off of really, what, one full year doing it in college? Like, that's a lot for some to, to ask of somebody. And he didn't really do it for Memphis last year because he was a guy coming off the bench. Um, now this year he steps in and they are having him be like a secondary initiator in, in the starting lineup. And that goes back to some of the offensive responsibility they gave him at summer league. Like they really put the ball in his hands with that summer league team. I think he, he, he played for like almost the whole summer league run, if not the, the entire run, like he was in every single game, even, even when we were still there, Brad, like usually you'd want to shut down a guy who's, who's playing that well, or like, you, you bring him in for a few games, see what he's worked on over the summer, and then you kind of just like let him go, right? Like you're, you're not you're not eager to play him throughout the entire run. But they they wanted to see how much responsibility he could shoulder with the ball in his hands all the time, and he did really good at it. And you're seeing some of those flashes come through in the NBA this year. Is he perfect at being a primary initiator out of ball screen type offense? No, but he's definitely getting better, and that's really like the last – area of his game that needs to take a jump is just him being much more comfortable passing the ball all over the place. So once that comes around, I mean, yeah, he's already a flamethrower from everywhere else on the floor in terms of shooting and scoring. Like, I don't even, what's the ceiling at that point? Like, could he be, could he even pass Jaron as the second best player on the mm, Grizzlies? I don't like, know about that. Like, I know you want to factor in the defensive end with Jaron and all the things that he does. And, and he's been a spectacular shot blocker this year. We know about his versatility on that end. We know the promise that he has offensively, but like when you factor in how Bain is a consistent presence from a health standpoint, how efficient he is on the offensive end, how he doesn't kill you on the defensive end. He certainly at least competes on that end. He's in the 53rd percentile. Like, I don't know if he's the consistent other guy there next to jaw, and if Jaron continues to be in and out of the lineup like he's been for years, like, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there, Brad. Like, that's yeah. that's how high I am on Bane. No, like I said, man, I always I always thought of them as like a big two. Now I think of it as a big three. Like, I, he's, he's yeah. in the mix for sure. And, yeah, I could see him and Jaron being like – or Jaron and him being like 
more of like a, a 2A, 2B a two, kind of thing. 2A, two two yep. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, no, man, he, he's awesome. Uh, and, dude, he, something about, like, his pump fakes on the perimeter, like, he forces the defense into so many of these flybys. Like, he's become the king of the, the flyby three. I swear it happens, like, three or four <laughs> times per game. It's crazy. Um, and I don't know. I was wondering, like, if it has anything to do with his – negative wingspan or his, I don't know if it's negative or even but it's it's a very short wingspan and I almost wonder if having short arms like that obviously a big part of it is that he's just such a threat from three that guys are desperate to contest his shots because he rarely misses but I, I think wonder it's just if he, his mechanics in general like he yeah it does not take him a long time at all to load that ball up and get the right. shot up so it's kind of like think, I think part if you of that, see him twitching to do it you kind of like you kind of have to close out on him like you can't just let him take it I look at guys like throughout history that have had negative wingspans. When you look at like Luke Kennard or like JJ Redick or Bain, and they all kind of have that, that quick motion uh, yeah. where sometimes you see guys with really long arms taking a longer time to load up. There's obviously exceptions in both cases, but it was just a right. weird kind of half-baked uh, theory I was thinking about. I was like, cause, cause he gets people like no other with those pump fakes. And I was like, maybe those short arms are working in his advantage. At least I'd like to think so, but yeah, um, he, he's awesome, man. And that Grizzlies team, um, if they're not a contender, they're a borderline contender. Like they're right there. I don't think they're that far below like the, you know, the, the three or four teams that everybody would probably consider contenders. It's, it's, it's not a half-baked theory because when if you think about it, right, like if you don't have the longest arms on the court, you're much more of a threat to have your shot blocked. And so those guys kind of have to learn how to shoot the ball quicker to make sure they're actually getting it off and not getting their shot blocked. Coming from somebody who, obviously I'm not playing professional basketball, but I'm not the tallest guy on the court. I sure as hell don't have the longest arms on the court. So I got to figure out a way to get that ball out quick. So that actually – makes a lot of sense it's actually a really good theory on your part you kind of kind of have to have quicker mechanics and if the defense is reading the scouting report they know you're you're a quick shooter like you got a quick trigger and shot then if you see him just like twitch like for a second like he looks like he's about to load up into his motion like you have to react right away you don't have time to think about it because that's how quick they're getting the shot off so that actually makes a lot of sense that he gets so many people to bite on fakes and then he can kind of just sidestep and, and get into his three-point shot that way. What what what, what a freaking fun player, man. I, I, I love watching Desmond Bain and the Grizzlies. So we haven't left ourselves a ton of time to run through our so- all sophomore second teams. But that being said, I don't know if there's too many, like, noteworthy names. We already talked about Cole. We talked about Cole. So let's, let's knock out the other four guys. So who are the other four guys on your ballot? I know we're going to have a difference or two. I know that for a fact. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Maybe a couple. All right, the other four guys on my ballot are Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell, Sadiq Bey, and I know he hasn't played a lot of games, but I had to put Onyeka Okongwu on there just based wow. on what he's done recently. Just based on what he's done recently. I mean, he's he's been so impressive. So, yeah, Okoro. So my whole second team would be Cole Anthony, Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell, Sadiq Bey, Onyeka Okongwu. Just some of your, your quick thoughts on Devin Vassell before I tell you the rest of my second team, because I also had Devin Vassell. Devin Vassell was a player who did not make the Rising Stars game uh-huh. on the sophomore side, which I was – I would, that honestly, dude, that, that shocked me. Like, I, I know Precious Achua has had some moments for the Raptors, mm-hmm. but 
I, yeah, I don't man. think he's nah. been nearly as good as as the cell. Like even nah. Sam Cassini tweeted about that the other night. Like, how did the cell not make it? He, people are sleeping on him. They really are. Like I've had conversations with people that are like, just a lot of people aren't paying attention to him for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just because it's kind of like a down year for the Spurs and he's coming off the bench and they've just got so many wing type of players there that I don't know if he's just kind of getting lost in the shuffle in terms of people's perception of him. But like he's having a really nice season and he's shown a lot of improvement uh, since year one. He's at 11 and a half points a game, four and a half rebounds, one and a half assists. Uh, percentages aren't bad, 44, 35, 78, 54% true shooting. But lately he's really been coming on. He scored in double figures in 14 of their last 17 games. Um, that's, that's since January 1st. Um, he's set career highs in both rebounds and assists over that stretch. Um, and he's averaging 13, five and two in that span. So his, his offense has really been coming up. He's shooting 49% on mid ranges, uh, per dunks and threes, which is in the 88th percentile. Um, uh, and that's up from 40% and 46th percentile as a rookie. So that's a massive improvement as a mid range shooter. And he's so good. It, and it, it's pretty, man. Like his jump shot just translates perfectly to that mid range. And it's such a nice little addition, like where he was already kind of this prototypical three and D wing. Um, and then you add in that mid range game and a little bit of playmaking that he's shown even in recent weeks. And you you have like a three and D plus guy, like some, something better than that. We know about the defense. That was obviously one of the main areas of appeal coming out of college. Um, great length, lots of upside in that regard could be something resembling Mikhail Bridges. I know that's a, a high aim, but like, that's, I think the type of player, at least you could have there really on both ends. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, I just love his mid range game. I can't believe he was snubbed from the rising stars game. Um, I didn't even look at the roster yet for that, but I did hear that Achua made it. And like, I like him too, like no disrespect to him, but um, if we're talking about like, you know, who's been better this season or who's, even got a higher upside. Like I think it's I think it's Vassell. I just think he's super underrated. And I would love to see a few more minutes open up for him. I think he's at about 25, 26 on the season. Like he's getting decent burn off the San Antonio bench. But I'd like to see him, you know, become a starter sooner than later. See what he can do in 30 plus minutes a game. And um there's definitely some trades that that team could make here at the deadline coming up. Like Derek White's been talked about. Um Doug McDermott seems like kind of an obvious one. Thad Young is a very obvious trade candidate so like you know maybe something more will open up for him and he'll start getting the recognition that that he deserves but but he's been rock solid and and especially as of late yeah i agree with you 100 percent. when you actually flip on the tape and you watch what he's able to do um he's he's not he's not the most the, the greatest finisher around the basket but at the same time like he is so perimeter based when when he is playing on the court they ask him to primarily take perimeter shots and when he does attack a closeout and he gets two feet in the paint that runner of his he also has great touch on that floater he's in the 90th percentile in terms of scoring off runners so like when you just look at what you want your modern day wing to look like your modern day three and d wing to look like with upside to continue growing I think that's what Devin Vassell is for you. Like he's he's just gonna keep getting better and better. Like it would not shock me, Brett, once that Spurs team makes a few more moves to to get rid of some of the clutter and that backcourt slash wing grouping. Um, if he really makes his bones next year in year three and has a breakout year um, for for the Spurs, that that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, so we both had him. We both had Sadiq Bay. We both had Cole Anthony. So that's three spots. I differed a little bit. I had Jay Sean Tate 
at one of the spots. And that was the spot where I argued between Jay Sean Tate and Isaac Okoro. Okoro did not make my team. Um, I, I think really it's only because of the games, man. I think really when it comes down to it, Jay Sean Tate's just been a much more consistent presence, especially on the defensive end for Houston. Although I, I, I think if Okoro, if Okoro would have been on the court more, Brad, I think he probably would have been my guy there. It was, it was close. It was really, really, really close, man. Really close. And then who was, who was the fifth guy that you had? A Kongwu. A Kongwu. See, I, I went, I went with Denny Avdia in that last spot. So yeah, he was, he was next up for me. I would have, Avdia and then Tate would have been my like 11 and 12. I was, I was going back and forth between a Kongwu and, and Avdia. Avdia is like, just quick shout out to him. Like he's really established himself as a, a high level defensive player. Absolutely. Um, yeah. He, he's a nice player, man. Yeah. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be good. I think people are sleeping on him too. Maybe I'm sleeping on him by not putting him on there, but, um, like my my thing with Okoro is this like talk talk to me about Okoro <laughs> like I I, I okay. very 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 close scratch yeah no that that's fair too and he has missed some time like I, I get it um and obviously like his numbers his basic numbers aren't going to jump off the charts nine point two points a game three point eight rebounds one point eight assists his efficiency uh, offensively has actually gone up quite a bit he's at forty seven thirty one seventy five which like you know in fifty seven percent true shooting uh above league average true shooting for Isaac Coro this season, which is like i don't know i even i probably didn't see that coming based on based on last year um so he's improved his efficiency across the board and from all three levels as well rim finishing mid range and three point shooting he's he's improved. Um, in all those areas, his volume's just not up. So you're not seeing it reflect really on the, the counting stats, but, but it's the defense with him. Um, he is the first line of defense, uh, for a top three defense, a consistently throughout the year, top three defense, uh, just an absolute beast at the, the point of attack, um, always guards the opponent's best perimeter player. He did that last year too. Um, and I think a lot of that, I think sometimes his defensive numbers, like advanced stats don't look as good as they should because he's got just these brutally tough matchups. Uh, but he always does admirably plays with a lot of effort. So I just think like he, he's kind of like their unsung hero. Like, I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for that defense as great as Mobley and Allen have been. And yes, they deserve the bulk of, of the credit along with JB Bickerstaff, of course, but, but a Coro's um, defense up top, man, has been has really been something. He's just awesome on ball. Like he, he, you know, he's got this combination of physical strength. Like you just look at the guy; he's a friggin' tank, and then quick feet, like laterally, where he can, you know, usually beat uh, the guy he's guarding to the spot they want to get to. And if he doesn't fully beat him, he gets to where he's like on his hip, and with his strength, he sort of dictates their course to the rim, where he sort of, you know, um, guides them away. Uh, just just by being so strong or got, you know, he he has that advantage. Um, so, yeah, just a, just a phenomenal defensive player, in my opinion. I'd say an elite uh, perimeter defender, and he's only going to get better. Um, but, yeah, offensively, a lot of room for growth still. Uh, has no mid-range game, really. Like, I can't even picture him taking a mid-range shot. Um, I think he's got some playmaking potential. We saw it in Summer League. They gave him a lot of responsibility. Of course, that's Summer League, but he was making some nice reads and some nice passes. Um I'd like to see him get going downhill more often and just use that that strength and that athleticism. I think far too often he just kind of catches it on the perimeter and moves it. And I just think he's way too fast, way too strong, way too athletic to just be like a ball mover, even if he's not a great shooter. Like maybe run some more stampede actions for him, get him like a little head start 
um, to where he can really get going downhill and, and start causing havoc, get, you know, touch the paint and then maybe make some plays from there. Like, I think he has that in him. And I think under, I think he's being a little underutilized offensively, although he does have a lot of room for growth still there. But I like him long term as their starting shooting guard. Um, I'd like to see them upgrade at the three and maybe, you know, start bringing Lowry off the bench if they were going to do anything with like the Rubio contract or potentially Sexton here at the deadline. But I want Okoro to be a part of it going forward. And even if they go after a, a two guard, somebody like a Eric Gordon or somebody like that, I, maybe slide Isaac to the three or something. But I want him to have a big role on this team. I think his defense is invaluable. And I think it allows, you know, Allen and, and Mobley to really be the best version of themselves defensively. So they're, you know, I, I'm giving some of these guys a boost for how good their team are. Like, if you play a big role or big minutes on, on a good team, like Bain um, or Maxi, you know, and, and also Okoro, of course, like, I'm, I'm going to definitely give them some credit there, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Okoro. Would I still put him number one on a big board? No, but I think he was the right pick at five. I still think he was the right pick at five for Cleveland. I'll put it that way. Well, you know how I feel about him long-term Brett, like if, if he can continue to improve offensively to the point where, and to, to your credit, you read off a lot of the numbers, like when he has been on the court this year, he has been improved offensively. Um, we know how much of a threat he is in transition, but if he can get to the point where in terms of like spot up shooting and finishing at the rim in the half court, like you said, if they get him going downhill, attacking a lot more in those situations and He's a, a bigger positive for them offensively. We know what he brings to the table defensively. And again, if your front line of the future is him and Mobley and Allen, who, who's, who's going to score on you? Like, like how's the other team going to score the basketball? So, like, I agree with you that he needs to be in their long-term plans. They need to continue to develop his offensive game. I think it, it gets much easier to do that when you have a point guard as good as Garland who can get to literally anywhere he wants to on the floor at all times, and he is the setup man that he is, I, I think that will make Okoro's life much easier in the long term. And then you also factor in, I mean, everything that Mobley can do from the elbows on in, passing the basketball, like he's also um, spectacular. That Cavs team, Brett, my, it <laughs> finally came to pass. The Cleveland Cavaliers are good. You were on it, man. You were on it, and they were pretty good until like injuries and stuff hit last year too. Like you were, you, you definitely called it. And then this year, it's just really come together with like with the addition of Mobley and just the improvement of Garland. Is and, Garland and, and an All Star? Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 hundred percent, man. In my eyes, he's he, him, and Allen both. I'm putting both of them on the team if if it's up to me. I, I think the reserves are actually getting announced uh, tonight. We're recording this uh, Thursday, I, I believe. So we'll see if if they make it. But it's in Cleveland, so. Come on, let's go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that team, man, like, and they do need another scorer, like, no doubt about it. Um, but, and Okoro's not that guy. But uh, I just think, I think you look for that guy and, and you keep Okoro in the fold as well. So the only two guys that we didn't talk about who we didn't have on our ballots, but they were, they're going to be in the Rising Stars game for the sophomores are Achua, as we already mentioned. And then we did not put Isaiah Stewart on the ballot. I had him as a name to potentially put on my ballot, but Brett, not, I'm not going to read off the numbers because if I do, I, I might upset Molly out there. Shout out <laughs> to Molly if she's listening. I, I don't want to do that. Um, so he did not make my ballot ultimately, but he is he is a popular name, especially that didn't happen earlier in the year. I yeah. me that, that he's in that game. But Brett, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for hopping on this podcast and, and going through. That, that was really fun doing all sophomore 
first and second teams. I think I'm definitely going to make this something I'm writing about in my column next week. Um, maybe if you do some writing about it in the near future as well, maybe we can com- compare notes, share pieces all over the place on social media. But thank you for for hopping on and, and talking some NBA hoops. I miss watching the NBA as often as you do, man. I, I really do miss Like Every time I flip on an NBA game for fun, the, the quality of basketball, it, it, it's, it's truly amazing what these guys are doing in the league on a night to night basis. I, I miss it, but I miss um, watching college, man. Like it's, it's just, it's hard to do both. You know, if you're going to be that deep, that deep in one or the other, I mean, it's, especially if you've got a busy life outside of that, like it, it really is tough to do both. So yeah, I'm, I'm all NBA, but, but as I always say, man, I appreciate you, um, you know, and your perspective when it comes to, when it comes to scouting and some of these prospects that I wouldn't even know about otherwise, probably some of the guys we talked about today, you, you were the first one to put me on to them. So, uh, yeah, man, this, this was a ton of fun. That was a really cool topic. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can do it again soon, man. But it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Plug, plug you, plug the overstated, plug everything, man. Uh, if you want to talk some hoops, come to, come to the overstated NBA Facebook group. We just, it's, we keep it light in there. We just, we just talk hoops. We have fun. We got a really good group of people. Everybody keeps it respectful. So it's just kind of a cool place to, to talk hoops, sort of like an alternative to Twitter, but, but Twitter's obviously dope too. You can follow me on there. It's Hooperbole, H-O-O-P-E-R-B-O-L-E. Um, and then I've got the, the overstated NBA show is, is the podcast I do with the great Steve Sabatini. Nathan's been on there a few times, um, and hopefully we'll be on there again soon. We'll definitely work something out with that, but, but yeah, go, go subscribe to that if, if you'd like. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it as far as plugs and stuff, but, but, but thanks again, man. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. And, and thank you, everyone out there who is listening to this episode of the podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, please go do so. Get it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Follow me on Twitter, at DraftDeeper. Go subscribe to the No Ceiling Substack. We're pumping out draft content Monday through Friday. We have multiple podcasts in our No Ceilings Podcast Network. we got the YouTube channel, No Ceilings TV, you can subscribe to. We, a, a, any medium that you want draft content through, trust me, we got it cooking every single day of the week. So definitely go subscribe, noceilings.substack.com. And stay tuned for more of the content I'm going to be doing next week. I will have a big board update coming out next week. I'm going to have a fun episode with Tyler Rucker again, a.k.a. Backboard Violation. We're going to go through his new, his latest piece that he just put up on No Ceilings, talking about scouting and the bare bones of what you should be looking for as a scout and how to evaluate talent. So that's going to be a really fun episode. But thank you all so much for listening to this one. I hope you all... Have a wonderful rest of your week.